This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is David Shiv, the Chief Information Officer at the General Services Administration. I caught up with David at a recent Act IAC webinar. Our primary goal continues to be to serve the business mission of GSA. GSA has a very, very broad business portfolio. And being the CIO, being a technology provider into that business enterprise, it's challenging. We don't have a one-size-fits-all technology plant, we call it. It is widely diverse, and that is both a challenge, but as a technologist, also a very exciting place. So I'll continue to pour a fair amount of time and attention into making sure that the business mission of GSA is accomplished, that the business enterprise is operating the most efficiently and effectively as it can, and using technology as transforming agent to make sure that business enterprise is working its best and a modernization target so that we can provide the service to the citizens that we do and to our agency partners that, frankly, they expect of us and they demand of us here in the 21st century. So that that remains kind of mission number one for us, and everything else falls out from there. Another mission focus area, place of uh, acute interest for me is making sure that we have the right people on board within GSA IT to make sure that we can deliver against that mission. Every good thing that we do, I can draw a pretty straight line back to the excellent people of GSA IT. And, um, but that doesn't happen by accident. And we um, will spend a fair amount of time making sure that we are curating the pipeline of talent into GSA IT um, because it's not just getting everybody on board. It's making sure that as people flow through the fed tech, civic tech ecosystem, that we're making sure we have the right people. And that that flow is actually the right way to model things um, rather than just trying to get and hold people. It's making sure that um, we're creating a, a cadre of evangelists that can even go back out into the private sector and and continue the good work of uh, public service from those locations. So that'll be another acute interest there. I'm a steward of taxpayer dollars, so I am obligated to react, respond, and manage in an honorable, transparent way. So we'll continue to pour time and attention into governance and planning activities, making sure that the things we work on generate the highest value. Um, And value can mean any number of things to any number of people, but our value uh, calculus, does it save money? Does it generate better business outcomes? Does it increase customer satisfaction, customer experience? Do the people that consume our services, would they promote us to other people and other entities so that we can continue to grow the business? Does it create avenues for successful growth? And if we're doing things right, do we have natural and easy off-ramps for things that are not producing value over time? And uh, and creating an ecosystem, technology is part of that, into that entire world. And I think the last thing is I'll be focusing on looking upstream to see what new and enabling technologies, what new process, uh, what new people that we can bring on board to 
um, continue to have GSA be at the forefront of good technology use and good business practice here in government. You know, we have to earn our business here at GSA. Very little of our business is mandated. And because of that, we're always looking to improve the processes that we do on behalf of our partners, but also to um, anticipate what our partners' needs are and looking upstream to see what's available out in the marketplace and um, out in academia that we can drive into GSA to get better outcomes, use ourselves as a proving ground to then maybe generate those outcomes for the larger federal community. That's part of GSA's DNA and GSA IT, my shop. We are kind of an internal proving ground inside of GSA um, to affect some of that. So those are the kind of key areas that I'm focused on this year. All right, well, thank you. If that's a good, get us going because there's a lot to dig out. So I'm going to take us back to the beginning and talk about that first primary goal, which is the mission side of it. It's great when we talk about efficiency and effectiveness and making sure we're transforming operations. Let's dig deeper into that. Maybe give us an example or two of some of those areas you're really going to start to, you have been and will continue to look at to drive that effectiveness and efficiency. I know, Dave, for instance, we could talk about enterprise infrastructure solutions as one example, but there's plenty of other areas too. You know, it's no surprise that GSA is a shared service provider for uh, agencies that want to consume our service so that GSA, we can build something once and have many, many agencies use that. We've been doing that across multiple business domains for a number of years. How you do that matters, though. Uh, I'll use a specific product that we have as an example. We run the consolidated award environment for the federal government. We call it the System for Award Management and Integrated Award Environment, SAM IAE. We look back at how we did that. Uh, the federal government used to spend about $2 billion a year on award environments sprinkled throughout agencies and had okay outcomes at being able to manage award management across the federal enterprise. And a number of years ago, the decision was made to consolidate that into a single agency so that uh, other agencies can, could consume that as a service. The consolidation play was the right thing to do, um, but we did some things that really hadn't been done at that scale in government. We also massively moved these infrastructures to the cloud and changed the way that we were going to deliver technology in support of that large environment. There was a nine-to-one rationalization on overall costs for award management across the federal enterprise. Um, costs went down to around $260 million. And then from there, we have iterated and uh, modernized uh, over a number of years. And now those costs are you know, down below $150 million a year. And the whole while, the customer experience across that platforms, you know, whenever you do a transformation or consolidation, you're lucky if you can hold customer experience flat largely flat through those first couple of years of doing that. The customer experience has gone up across the across that time as well. So, you know, nine or 10 to one rationalization on costs, rapidly increasing customer experience outcomes. And then I don't want to say most importantly, but equally important is we've generated centralized singular systems of record for award management across the federal government so that we, the government, can know what's being awarded to who, and we can make good decisions to, that affect the buying power of the federal government as a whole. Really great kind of business outcomes. There's still work to do in this space, of course, and we're constantly transforming and iterating the space. 
But that same play is a play that we are using across multiple multiple domains. Um, you know, GSA IT supports the technology transformation service and providing IT support for a system we call e-rulemaking, um, which is the rulemaking engine for um, for the federal government the, that uh, makes rules that the re regulatory rules that um, that the federal enterprise has to conform to. So we've um, we're providing technology into that shared service. This is a play that we will do again and again and again. And it's a play that we've learned early on and refined over time on how to deliver IT effectively. And at the key of that is a model of continuous improvement, where we continuously look to improve not only the underlying technology that delivers a service, but the overlying user experience and uh, and generating better outcomes like data outcomes and um, customer outcomes doing that. That's a play that we'll continue to do until it yields no more value. And then we'll look for other high value places to work. Dave, I'm glad you brought up the effort around SAM and IAE. And I got to ask the question because you opened the door, so I will walk through it. There's been a lot of challenges with the UEI transition. There's been a lot of challenges with some of these other transitions under SAM.gov. What role has your office played in helping them out and helping them kind of push through and, and fix some of the challenges? Because I've heard time and again, you know, GSA has done all, they say all the right things and then these transitions happen and things don't go maybe as they expect. And listen, it's a big system change, right? Nobody expects it to be perfect. But what's, what's the role you're playing from your office as the CIO? We do these system changes and nine out of 10 times they go off without a hitch. Every once in a while, there's a problem when it happens. And that's the challenge with dealing with large federalized systems. So to the vendor community that's struggling through this and that we're struggling alongside with you to, um, to do data cleansing activities, to get you all re-registered as quickly as possible, we're sorry about this. It's a tough environment, but we'll get this fixed as quickly as possible. You know, my shop supports backing IT for many of those systems. And so we've looked at ways to take a look at the many of the data issues that are causing problems in that space. And we've looked at automation and augmentation ways to shorten the backlog so that people can get quickly registered. And, and we'll continue to do that. We'll continue to look at enabling technologies. But then there's also just a roll up your sleeves body of work that people have to do. And so... If you have problems, call into our help desk. We're working the stuff as quickly as we can uh, with our partners um, to make sure that you can get registered, re-registered, and back online as quickly as possible. I know in previous transitions under IAE, your shop has brought in some extra help. Maybe some of your staff came in with some coding or some troubleshooting. Uh, is that a constant, meaning like every time one of these big systems roll out, you guys are either knee deep in it or your staff is kind of on call like okay we can uh, i'll use the term swat team in if need be yeah it's all of the above you know there's very I, I can't even remember the last time a system implemented within gsa that gsa it didn't have a material hand in doing it that partnership with the businesses of gsa is pretty long-standing and, and we're very proud of that but the, the days of deploy and forget are long over that's that's it from a decade ago um, when we deploy or we help our the businesses deploy uh, some capability that has a systems component, it's on all hands on deck through the deployment and afterwards as well. So, yeah, there's SWAT team capabilities that um, that, that the agency has that are being brought to bear on 
any implementation, um, including the UAI um, implementation. Dave, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest is David Shive, the Chief Information Officer of the General Services Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is David Shive, the Chief Information Officer at the General Services Administration. I caught up with Dave at a recent ACT-IAC webinar. One of the big contracts that GSA from your office let is the Comet contract, and it's a task order, multiple award, blanket purchase type agreement. It is something you guys have been using to modernize some of those internal business systems. Can you give us any update on on Comet, even statistics of how much obligations, how many contract awards, what's coming up, any any forecasts, anything that folks should uh, keep an eye out for? Because I think that also portends how, what, what are some of your priorities around modernization? Even better than contract amounts and contract awards. Looking back, you know, we've awarded number of um, tasks against the against the order. I think even more exciting and something that any industry partners that are listening in might be interested in is the contract was originally let to um, manage many of the systems modernizations and transformation efforts that are underway in the Federal Acquisition Service. We've we've generated enough good business outcomes there that we're expanding the use into broader parts of the GSA business portfolio. So where you know people could feel reasonably conf- confident previously that if you awarded a task order in Comet, you'd be working on some federal acquisition service system. Now some PBS systems are in play and now some of our corporate systems are in play and some of the shared services that we're running within the agency are in play. And that's that's a good sign. That's contract growth driven by good outcomes. And in places where we have really successful public-private partnerships, where we've generated contracting vehicles that do generate these really good outcomes, those are places where we're doubling down and um, and doing more work. So what I would say to any industry partners that might be listening is watch very closely some of the bids that are in the pipeline. And uh, take a look at the nature of what those things are, and you'll notice kind of a broader scope in what we're going to be working on. The how we're working on it isn't going to change because it's a winning model. Industry and government using a DevSecOps model with technologists and security people and business people all working together to generate business capability, expansion or improvement using technology and technology process as as the business model. That's the way the world develops things well today. And that's the model envisioned under Comet with also some rapid on-ramps for things like new and enabling technology, or as we did just a few months ago, on-ramping new small business because the contract vehicle was so successful previously that small businesses grew into mid or large size business through their work on the vehicle or through mergers and acquisitions grew into large business. So we're looking to on-ramp additional small businesses so that we could have a holistic portfolio of um, industry partners helping us do that work. So, oh, and I'll just add one last thing, Jason. Take a look at the roles, see what's coming, but also remember that we have uh, quarterly tech meetings and business meetings with the community that either works on the platform or works on the contract or is interested in working. So sign up for that. We talk very frankly uh, about what we're hoping to accomplish 
um, through the contract vehicle. And we talk a little bit about what our roadmap for the future is as well. You mentioned expanding out, not just from federal acquisition service, to, but into public building service, some of the headquarters type of work. Anything you'd want to okay. highlight, any, any existing contracts or maybe up and coming ones that you'd say, hey, we're really looking to modernize this system or this business process or this effort across PBS or, or uh, you know, government-wide policy or wherever? Sure. Yeah, there's a couple. One is we use business intelligence just like any agency does, just like any business does here in the 21st century. And we consolidated a fair number of our um, data analytics, data sciences, business analytics capabilities a number of years ago and put it all on a cloud-based system so that people could had the right tools for the right data sciences needs uh, that they needed and trained our people to act uh, on this kind of centralized capability really effectively. We're ready for the next iteration in that space. And so I suspect that there's going to be some work in the data sciences realm showing up on that contract um, sooner rather than later. And that's work, you know, maybe some license type stuff, but more importantly, actual work um, to help us drive in new technology capability into the, the platforms that we have. They're all cloud-based platforms, stuff like that. So some exciting work there if you're into the integration business. Let's see. Another is it's no surprise that the way people are working are, are, is changing in response to new ways of working. And the public building service um, has a number of initiatives that are analyzing and reacting, responding to the new ways that people work. Um, we have this initiative called Workplace 2030, where we started this before the pandemic, looking at what are the ways the federal government should be working and where should we be reacting as a space provider and technology provider into that ecosystem. That's accelerated to, you can't even really call it Workplace 2030 now, it's really Workplace Now. And we're getting ready for what we looking at usage patterns across the federal enterprise now, but also what we expect they might be in 12 months or 24 months down the road and trying to anticipate that so that we can be providing those workplace and technology solutions um, that uh, the agencies are going to need. And so some of that I would, I would expect might show up in that contract as well some of how we react and respond to those uh, those drivers, those forcing agents. So we have some questions from the audience, which I am excited about. Uh, the first one comes from uh, our friend Robin Gardner from CGI. She asks, how are the various CXOs within GSA working together for that common goal? I know you have a close relationship with the acting CFO. I know you work closely with Tracy Martini. So what are some right. of the ways the CIO's office is working with supporting those business areas in the back office side? I'm super excited to, you know, if it's breaking news, you know, I apologize. I think I was, it was out there. Um, we have a permanent CFO now, Namisha Argawal, and uh, she's, she's hit the ground running in the last few weeks. And we're super, super excited to have her on the team. So there is not a day, not even a week, there's not a day goes by um, that I'm not talking to my peer CXOs, the CFO, the Chico, the chief administrative officer. We're all service providers to the larger business enterprise of GSA. And, you know, when you look at the business research out of there that comes from Wharton or Kennedy at Harvard or places like that, all the business research says that strong support services are a key enabler to positive overall business mission outcomes. And when you try to uh, try to treat those support services as a cost center to be diminished and reduced over time, it usually 
chokes off forward progress and innovation and stuff. And I'm one of the reasons that I've been here for so long is GSA, GSA leadership understands this and they have consistently made um, investments in people and time and money into those support services. And it's one of the key enablers to the GSA business mission and enterprise. I work with the CFO and Chico on a regular basis because we care about people and we care about dollars. I mentioned earlier, you know, I feel I have a fiduciary responsibility as a steward of taxpayer dollars to be the best steward of taxpayer dollars that I can. And that takes nuanced, very detailed conversations with my CFO on a weekly basis to, to not only affect budget execution, to drive to value-based outcomes, but to make sure that on the budget formulation side, we are hitting the right resources necessary to set a strong groundwork uh, framework for success in the future. I'm going to ask you to, to take us a level down. Can you give me maybe one or two initiatives in each area that maybe you currently working on or plan to work on in the coming months? Financial side, uh, we talked a little bit about some data science um, modernization. We are knee deep in that right now, working with our um, financial partners. It's no great surprise that a well-run finance shop uses data as an enabler to and a force multiplier for the limited dollars that we have. And uh, they're very good at that. As a matter of fact, they stretch us as an IT shop with their data science needs. And so we're working very closely with them to make sure that they have the right data science, and data analytics tooling and capability, and that their people are properly trained and well-trained to maximize those investments in technology and uh, data management. So that's a place of acute interest and focus for us on the HR side. We're doing some pretty meaningful work on the recruitment side to make sure that we're funneling the right and best people into that pipeline of talent. And part of that is, again, we're not seeing that there's a real dearth of people who are interested in public service. It's making sure that we get the right, highest quality, highest caliber people targeted to the right places where they can generate the greatest value. That's easier said than done. And some pretty significant data analytics allows you to um, to be able to do that. And then another place that I'm really interested in, in kind of the reverse partnership where they're helping the IT shop is we're competing not only with technologists of all types, designers and cybersecurity engineers and uh, infrastructure engineers and help desk personnel. We're competing with the private sector. We're competing with academia. We're competing with other agencies. And one of the things that we find that is an enabler to being able to not only attract top-notch talent, but on actually onboard them is speed to hire. And so you look at GSA's speed to hire numbers, there are already very, very good, some of the best in government, uh, but we're not just competing with government, we're competing with other places that can onboard people very, very rapidly. And so we're looking at some accelerators such as doing instant offers, having events where we can literally have technologists and people who are domain experts interview people on the spot and give them a conditional offer for employment at GSA on the spot. We're looking at some creative things like that. Um, we've already done a pilot of that out in Chicago. We'll be doing it again here in the district here in the, in the next couple of months. So really, really great partnership with my peer CXOs in that kind of regard. Have you, from that first effort, do you remember, did you make 
10 hires, 20 hires, five hires? Do you remember how many and, and what generally speaking, what kind of positions, a lot of architecture, a lot of developers, do you remember any, any data or any, any details you can share? Well, I should be clear here. So in classic GSA fashion, where we, we don't just do things, we do run an MVP and see what the results are, and then we'll pilot something and then see what the results are. And then we'll be all in, in the places that show value. Um, the MVP was actually with acquisition professionals. And so there was some number other than bigger than two or three that uh, people that uh, a bigger number than that, that actually applied. And then uh, some number bigger than two or three that actually accepted the job through that process. Now we're going to take the learnings from that process and apply it to my, what we call 2210s, the IT job series here in government. Um, and we're working through the mechanics on how to do that because it's a little different than how you hire acquisition professionals. Um, and we'll be, again, trying that out here in the next couple of months. Are you, is your shop, like many shops, understaffed, more people is necessary, and not just because it's technology, but I've heard over the years that, you know, there's shops that are down five, seven, ten openings, and they just haven't had either the budget or the ability or the, whatever reason is they haven't filled those holes. Is your shop in that similar role where you, you just need more people? I mean, we all need more people. I'll take more reporters any day, you know that, but. Yeah. So that's an interesting question. So over the last couple of years, not because there were not people who were acutely interested in coming to work at GSAIT, but because we had some affordability issues, you know, our, what we call our PC&B, personnel costs and uh, compensation and benefits costs were largely flat, yet the cost for every time they'd get a raise, it made it so that I was pinched on being able to hire new people. A lot of that was resolved, again, in partnership with my CFO in the front office of GSA, uh, was resolved. My affordability um, increased over the last year, and we've been going through rapid hiring in response to that. So here's the thing with technology in the 21st century, and this is not a government issue or government thing. This is just a 21st century business thing. People who make investment in technologists and technology generally generate higher quality um, higher value business outcomes at increased velocity than those who don't. And I'm thankful to our front office who recognizes that, brings that kind of understanding into um, how we're operating, and they've actually done some things about it. And so the the current hiring um, tranche that we're going through, I've onboarded 25 people over the last you know six or eight weeks, I uh, have another 40 in queue, is a direct reflection to some improvements we've done in how we manage our, our personnel costs, um, but also because additional investments are coming our way because they recognize an investment in technology is an investment in good business and citizen outcomes. That's pretty incredible, Dave, I have to say. I mean, you're, you're just 25 people in the last six to eight weeks, 40 more in the queue. What types of positions between uh, 2210, of course? DevSecOps engineers, designers, um, product managers, and then more traditional cyber engineers and infrastructure engineers, specifically cloud engineers. Those are some of the key areas. And, uh, you know, the, the hiring is going really well. Again, we're not having any real trouble um, um, attracting talent. It's, it's been actually one of the most rewarding periods of my you know, tenure as a federal government executive in that regard. Dave, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest today is David Shive, the Chief Information Officer of the General Services Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is David Shive, the Chief Information Officer at the General Services Administration. I caught up with Dave at a recent ACT-IAC webinar. We have an audience question that will take us back to something I think you mentioned earlier. Public Building Service has been an agency that, quote unquote, seemed to do their own things a lot. How has GSA, or I guess your office, encouraged them a little bit to and brought them into that IT modernization fold? I know GSA reduced the number of CIOs, so to speak, across. Everyone became an associate CIO versus, and you're the one CIO, but that happened several years ago. But right. but how, talk a little bit about that effort with PBS to, to get them more enterprise services, maybe, is the better way. We're very pleased with the outcomes associated with our consolidation, where the really great tech executive, Phil Clocus, came to be a part of the GSA IT team. Seems like forever ago now. You know, I mentioned at the top of the discussion that GSA, we have to earn most of our business. There are very little of our business is mandated. In the same sense, if I'm doing my job right, the businesses of GSA will be seeking me out to come do more work with them. And while under FATARA, there's a certain mandate that people have to consume my services, if, as a CIO, if I'm standing on that to generate acceptance of the services I provide, then I've failed as a CIO. So one of the things that we've been doing is working very closely with PBS to show and reveal the value of technology. But it's, it's kind of two points descending on a horizon there. We've worked feverishly to say, here's where technology can help improve the business of, um, of the public building service, their design and construction activities, their facility management activities, stuff like that. At the same time, the technical acumen within PBS, the business, has been increasing over time as well. Part of that is organically when they hire people who have a master's degree in architectural engineering, but have a minor in computer information systems or something like that. You see talent kind of infusing into the, into the um, service that way. But at the same time, the entire world is becoming so used to using technology to make their lives better. And so working with PBS, those conversations have become increasingly easy. We've always worked very well with them. We've always been a service provider to them. But there is this exciting change in the conversations where they're saying, where can we use technology to provide the best you know, design and construction experiences? Where can we do virtual ex- inspections, which we're doing now? instead of flooding inspectors out to inspect buildings as they go up um, or as we refurb buildings? Or where can we know how people are moving throughout our buildings and know what those usage patterns are in our buildings and make building design reflective of the usage patterns that people do, not just say they're going to do? We're working with them on that kind of stuff. All of those conversations are deeply, deeply fruitful for us now. And PBS also understands that if they're focusing on nuanced IT delivery, they're probably not focusing all of their time and attention on the tough job of running the public building service. And so they're they're kind of all in and saying, you're our IT shop and uh, we need you to be successful here. And that's pushed the conversations up in the string instead of them thinking of something and saying, uh, okay, IT shop, we need you to come deliver this for us. Um, they're saying, we now have a business problem. Can you come sit at the table with us and help us think our way through what the right solution with that would be? Sometimes that's technology. Sometimes that's business process change. Sometimes it's something 
um, altogether different than that. Um, but being at that table at the ideation phase has tr proved transformative, not just with PBS, but with all of the business units of GSA. That's so nice to hear, I think, because, again, there's always that GSA had their headquarters area, but then FAS did FAS and PBS did PBS, and the twain sometimes didn't always meet up well. You brought up PBS and, and the things they're doing. I know there's a big discussion across a lot of facilities around IoT, Internet of Things, connected devices, whatever we're calling it these days. Uh, and, and that will all be supported, especially uh, if you know, I've been to GSA, not in the last couple of years, but in years past, you you walk in and the lights go on or lights don't go on, or you can automatically bring the shades down. And, and there's things that's a, that, that are being connected to a network. How are you implementing the new network, whether it's software-defined networking or others, through the EIS program? You made a really fascinating comment at the Fatari hearing just recently about we've been doing a ton of planning and eventually we're going to flip a switch and our, our quote-unquote circuits will go from zero to 60 in five seconds and all of a sudden we're going to be modernized. Talk about that modernization effort and what PBS or FAS or, or GSA headquarters more broadly will look like from a network perspective that's going to allow you then to do all these other things. One of the things I didn't say in the Patara hearing was, because it's a hearing, is is I mentioned the planning work, working through EIS and our zero trust implementation, that we would flip a switch. Backing into that, though, we've been running MVPs and pilots to prove out our theories and we're only focusing our investment of time and people and dollars on the pilot and MVP actions that showed and demonstrated value. One of the places that we did that was in the PBS Internet of Things. We implemented a microservices-based um, security and network operational um, topology, for lack of a better word, in that Internet of Things and learn some really interesting and important things about managing things that are not pure IT, they're operational technology, or they're not technology at all, but have an IP address bolted onto it and they're passing data. And all of that's informing our zero trust implementation, stuff like that. So while it may look like we're going to flip a switch, we've been deep in this space with PBS for um, a number of years so that our implementation of EIS, some of the forward-looking capabilities, a mesh network uh, that we're implementing through EIS, all of that's informed by stuff we actually did with PBS. You know, a lot of people don't know this. There are three original IOTs in the federal government. One of them was the Battle Space Management Group um, networks that the Department of Army um, built, Department of Air Force built. Another was uh, uh, NOAA's data weather gathering capabilities, space, air, land, sea, all those sensors dumping data up so they could do good numerical weather processing. The third was the Public Building Service, IoT. You know, we've had um, data flowing from air handlers and pump flow meters and um, solar panels on roofs and elevator position switches and door position switches and air conditioning units and stuff like that for years and years and years and years. And we've had an obligation to, one, maximize the value of the data coming off of that, but also secure that data as well. And so um, it's been a great, again, a great proving ground for us to say, um, how, how can we work effectively with PBS to make sure they're getting the greatest value out of those investments? 
but also what, how can that inform what the other important initiatives that we're doing here in GSA, like the, the move to EIS and our Zero Trust implementation. Dave, on that note, let's take a quick break. My guest is David Shive, the Chief Information Officer of the General Services Administration. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is David Shive, the Chief Information Officer at the General Services Administration. I caught up with Dave at a recent ACT-IAC webinar. You mentioned the microservices, security network, operational. Uh, how many of those lessons did you learn from, for instance, PBS that now you're going to apply to FAS or apply to other parts of GSA? Do, do you have that sense yet of, okay, we did 10 MVPs and five of them are really great and we're going we're gonna to move out with them and three, we're not sure, and two, we're definitely not. Do you, do you have that sense? You know, it was over a two-year period, Jason. Um, you know, I commission MVPs on such a rapid basis that, uh, you know, I, I I would say it was pretty evenly split. I will say this, it's pretty evenly split between three communities. Public buildings, actually, I, I, I got to be honest, across four communities. Public building service, their work actions and work activities generate a fair amount of understanding about how we're going to architect our technology plant for the future. FAS, with their um, acquisition-specific heavy, heavy enterprise systems usage model, they probably generate about 25% as well. Our CXOs have large technology deployment across a really broad business portfolio. That was probably another 20 25%. And then our deep, meaningful relationship and partnership with TTS has been a, an actual great boon of great ideas. Not only the stuff they share with us, but the stuff we do internally that we share with them, that kind of ecosystem, that bilateral ecosystem of information sharing between GSA, IT, and TTS has been a really, really great um, source. An example is you know, GSAIT runs the cybersecurity for login.gov. And that is a clearly a great avenue and vector for us to learn about and practice at scale identity uh, proofing and uh, authentication at scale. And so that's been just a great vector for us to be sharing information. And that informs how we're delivering our, our next gen technology plan. One thing we haven't talked about, but we've mentioned is a lot about data, but that goes into your governance and planning piece. And I think that's where we're going to maybe we save the best for last and most interesting thing. People love to talk about governance and planning, but this is very key to success for any IT organization. So maybe just give us a little bit of insights in terms of how you're thinking about governance planning. We know technology business management, TBM is a big push to understand your costs. How do you make all this work so you can have these good outcomes for the business areas? You're right. It has been an absolute discriminator for us. We do technology pretty well, but it's much of the planning and governance work that makes that actually happen. So thanks for bringing it up. You know, there's three key areas that we focus on um, with planning and governance. The first is being good stewards of, the, of taxpayer dollars and making sure making sure that our investments are focused on the highest value things and how you define value that's different for each person that's different for each entity but taking kind of a holistic view of what value is using guidance from our front office is it's the right way to be so 
you know, we, we have more work than we have available resources and not every good idea should be funded or should have resources, you know, personnel re or time resources focused to that. We should be focusing our limited resources on only the highest value things. And the way you do that is you get the business and the, and the technologists together and say, what are we trying to accomplish here? And we have decision criteria that weights the overall perceived outcomes across those portfolios. And you say, okay, we're going to have to push this to the side for a little while because we have limited resources, but we're going to double down on, on these places. That's a tough job, but we run a big enterprise with a large business portfolio. And as executives, that's one of our primary responsibilities is to be doing that work all day and every day, not once a year during budget planning cycles, but every single day as we prosecute the, the, the mission of uh, what we're responsible for. Another area is making sure that we have the right transparency and visibility into the work that we're doing so that we can do one of three things. We can either pour accelerators onto work that's lagging or work that's providing good value, but so we want to increase the time to value, or I'm sorry, decrease the time to value. So we say we're going to pour accelerators onto this. Another is things are fine kind of way they are, so we're going to leave it alone. Or the third thing, and you don't see this a lot in government, um, we're not seeing the value that we had hoped for, and so we're going to kill it and shut a thing down. We've shut down business here in GSA. We shut down technologies here in GSA that provided short amount of value or didn't provide the value that we expected. We say, we're not going to invest in that anymore. We're not going to throw good money after bad. All of that takes project management, program management, and product management expertise to be able to make those value-based decisions. And then the last piece is, we take a look back at our work that we do and we say, did we generate the right outcomes that we expected? We do retrospectives all the time. Did this thing that we are doing accomplish what we had set out for? If it did, where can we learn from that and share that with our other partners and our peers across government? If it didn't, why didn't it? And what can we do to make sure that doesn't happen again? I got to ask you, Dave, you, you open the door, I'm going to walk through it again. How many projects actually have you shut down slash killed slash said this not providing value in the last year, three yeah, years, five years? Yeah, I don't remember. It's, it's, it's a pretty big number. We have something called like an app graveyard where we actually have a, a big board and it has little tombstones with the names of the projects and apps on it. You know, last I checked, I think there's like 60 or something like on, but it's been around for a little bit. We do that. We shut stuff down. It's the right thing to do. You see that that's a best practice out in the commercial space. And that's something that government, when it's being its best version of itself, we're having honest conversations with ourselves about the value of a thing that we're doing. And if it deserves killing it, we kill it. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard my conversation with David Shive, the Chief Information Officer at the General Services Administration. I caught up with Dave at a recent ACT-IAC webinar. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.